So uh, this week we're going to continue in this series on being unafraid. And uh, if you haven't picked up, uh, we're using fear as an acronym throughout this time. So last week was the F with uh, facing uh, your fears in faith. And this week is the E, uh, examining your assumptions in light of the facts. And we'll continue to unpack that as we move forward. Um, a lot of you will know some of this, but I'm going to remind you, uh, The War of the Worlds uh, by H.G. Wells was actually published originally in Britain in 1898. I didn't realize it was that far back, but uh, the first version of it came out in 1898, the first publication. And what you probably will remember is that Orson Welles directed and narrated a radio broadcast of that in 1938. And when he began it, he began it as if it was a newscast. He didn't say ahead of time, this is a novel. He just launched into it as if it was actual news. And across the country, people were frightened and scared and panicked. Some of the reports you've heard about, you know, people flocking out into the streets and all that are way overblown. But nonetheless, a lot of people did call into law uh, enforcement agencies. Uh, some people did go and check with other people about it. Uh, and it, it did create quite a wave of fear across the country. And, and Orson Welles actually took quite a bit of heat for um, launching into it as a newscast without a, a preface at first to say this is a work of fiction. So all that happened in 1938. That's kind of become part of our urban legend. Here's the interesting part of that. Movies were made from this. Uh, the first one was done in 1953 and the most recent one in 2005. Uh, and in both of these, trailers were shown. In 1953, they were shown uh, on the theaters with other movies. In 2005, it came on your television set, as you saw trailers for it. And on both occasions, in spite of knowing full well what happened in 1938, people still call law enforcement to report that the Martians were invading. It still happened. Uh, and, and there's something about us that when we slip into that fear mode, uh, we, we respond before we even check to see what the facts are. And so we're going to talk this morning a little bit about examining your assumptions in light of the facts. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you open our hearts and our minds to what you would say to us this day. Uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, we talked about one use of that word fear as an acronym. There's another one uh, that you can make out of it too, which is false events appearing real. Uh, false events appearing real, which is exactly what happened when War of the Worlds went out on the radio and, and people saw those trailers for the movies. Uh, now, don't get this confused with the whole fake news thing that's going on now. I'm not something I'm talking about, but, but we can very easily, out of our fear, begin to assume that false events or things that actually haven't happened have happened. And, and in our modern uh, society where we're all online and everything, sometimes our media doesn't really help us with that too much. Uh, Maureen Dowd had a uh, column in the New York Times here recently, uh, and she report, or, or said that you know, the Wall Street Journal had a chilling report a few days ago that Facebook's own research in 2018 revealed that, quote, our algorithms exploit the human brain's attraction to divisiveness. If left unchecked, Facebook, Facebook would, quote, feed users more and more divisive content in an effort to gain user attention and increase time on the platform. And, and that, that way in which the Facebook and some of our other social media feeds into our divisiveness or our fear uh, may explain why the Pew Center uh, recently found that 12% of Americans are happy with the state of the country, only 12%, and 71% are angry, 
and 66% are fearful. Now, I appreciate the irony that you're probably watching this on Facebook this morning, but nonetheless, uh, it's, it's a word of caution to us about uh, how our media uh, can manipulate the way we see things and our emotions uh, and the way they operate, even if it's just a, an algorithm that's built into a program. Uh, and I'll remind you that part of the physical response to fear is that we have trouble focusing on small tasks. Our brain is directed to focus only on the, the big picture in order to determine where the threat is. So it's very easy for us to uncritically receive word, not necessarily facts, and become fearful and begin to perceive that as a threat before we even know if it's real or not. Uh, and too often I think that's what happens. And then we begin to build up this fear and this panic and this anxiety. Uh, if you go to scripture and you think about what Jesus told us about uh, finding truth, uh, the, one of the more famous quotes is, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And here he's speaking of the, the truth of the gospel. Uh, this is actually inscribed above the entrance to the main building at UT. Uh, so any of you who've been there have probably seen that uh, King James Version quote up there. But later in the book of John, you have this exchange between Jesus and Pilate. And Pilate asked him, so you're a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. Now, now that question, what is truth, is one that, that rings all through Scripture and across the centuries. What is truth? I remind you, I'm a philosophy undergrad, and one school of philosophical study is called epistemology, which is the study of how we know what we know and what is true. And when you use that word truth, it can mean a lot of different things, and we use it in a lot of different ways. We can talk about relational truth, you know, someone is true to someone else, which really is kind of a fidelity statement. Uh, you can talk about emotional truth, about how you feel about something. Uh, you can talk about artistic truth, which is very subjective. You can talk about uh, kind of a more uh, empirical truth, you know, the facts that, that you can measure and weigh and so forth. Uh, you can talk about logical truths that derive from other things. And, and we use the word interchangeably a lot of times without being clear about what we mean. And so when we talk about, you know, what's true, we, we really need to slow that train down a little bit and really examine what we understand to be true. Uh, years ago at one of our ordination services here in this annual conference, uh, Bishop Walter Kimbrough preached the ordination sermon. He wasn't a bishop yet at that point, but nonetheless, obviously, it was a sermon that stuck with me over the years, and it had two main points. And the first point was, don't be too sure. And his point being that oftentimes we quickly jump to assumptions that we want to have and things that we like, and we assume that that's the truth, and we hold out as if it were true. And he said, you know, you need to live with some humility. Uh, you're young, you're starting off on this, you really don't know as much as you think you do. So you need to have a spirit of humility about who you are and be open to the fact that there may be things you don't know, and maybe you need to learn some more. And so his first point, don't be too sure, was followed by this point, be very, very sure. And here he was talking about being very sure of the truth of the gospel and your relationship with Christ, because it's in that grounding that everything else would get defined. 
So, so uh, you know, obviously I heard that back then and it stuck with me over the years. Uh, and the first part about that, you know, don't be too sure in learning a little bit, kind of reminds me of another very familiar one, right? Do your homework. You heard it when you were growing up. I'm, I'm telling you again this morning. Do your homework. Uh, explore. Find out what facts really are. Don't assume that just because you've heard something from here or there that it's truth or because Orson Welles reads it on the radio. But, but do your homework and understand what's going on on about all of this. Several years ago, um, we were having a finance committee meeting here. It was in the mil- middle of raising money to build this building, and uh, the finance committee came together, and a lot of money had been coming in for capital campaign, but the budget was hurting pretty bad, and uh, uh, the committee was concerned. Actually, they were, they were fearful and, and getting really kind of tense, and, uh, and my friend Jim Parker, who was the chairperson at that time, stopped the meeting, and he said, let's look at the facts. And then Jim unpacked the facts. He talked about, had charts and graphs to compare a historic giving and how it compared over the years and what our overall giving was and where the money was going and what we had and, and what we could expect. And, and he, he did a great presentation where he shared the homework he had done. And when the committee sat and, and looked at the facts, they calmed down. And they realized that while we were tight at the time, we were certainly were not going down and that we had every reason to be optimistic. Uh, When Jim brought that in and just walked them through what the facts were, their fears settled down. And we we need to examine our assumptions in light of the facts, and oftentimes when we do, we find there's not as much to be afraid of as maybe we thought there was. So uh, Steven Seagal, in a related comment, has said, facts are our friends. The longer we as a society insist on ignoring them when they get too uncomfortable, the more we erode our potential to be great. So so we need to understand that facts are our friends and look at those. So I want to remind you, uh, last week I talked about uh, the big C a little bit, uh, cancer, which is one of those things that oftentimes we hear that word and immediately uh, have a tremendous fear response to that word. Uh, in my family, uh, cancer runs. Uh, both my father and my sister died of cancer. So, so we tend to have a pretty strong response to this word in our family. And as I talk to people, people will often say, boy, it just seems like cancer is everywhere. More people have it than ever. All those kinds of statements you hear. So, so let me just give you some facts. This is from the report to the CDC. Uh, first off, from 2012 to 2016, the incidence rate of cancer, the, the number of times it was diagnosed, uh, was stable, stayed level in men, and it increased 0.2% in women, a very small increase. Now, that on its own may not sound wonderful, although it certainly doesn't indicate that there's been a huge increase in the rate of cancer. But then you go to the next slide of this presentation and you realize that from 2001 to 2017, death rates from cancer actually decreased 1.5%. And if you dig into this report, what you find out is the rate of increase in women was primarily due to earlier detection of certain types of cancer. What this reflects is that between early detection and better treatment, the death rate for cancer actually has decreased in the country, which runs counter often to the way we feel, uh, where we had this tremendous fear. But the reality is, actually, people are dying less often from cancer. In the same way, you can think about violent crime in the country. Uh, The Pew Research Center put together these charts. Uh, The chart on the left reflects people's fear of uh, violent crime. 
And so you can see that the, the, the fear kind of drops from, you know, in 1993 down to, oh, say around 2000, 2001. But then that sharp spike probably corresponds to 2001, uh, 9-11. But you see that the, the rate continues to climb so that you have this increasing fear of violent crime. The chart on the right actually reflects the violent crimes per 1,000 in the United States. And you can see that actually the rate falls pretty dramatically throughout that whole time. In other words, while our fear was rising, the actual incidence of violent crime was decreasing. And I wonder if some of this isn't just that we have better reporting and better news media or more widespread news media, so we're more aware of what does go on than what we used to. But the truth is, even though our fear has gone up, the actual rate of violent crime has been decreasing. So now we're in the midst of this pandemic, this is a chart, uh, a chart comparing some of the great pandemics uh, of history. Um, and, and if you look at the bottom, you'll see the novel coronavirus COVID-19 down there. This was as of March 15th, so it's a little out of date. But you can see there's a small red dot there. And you can compare that to uh, the size of uh, HIV AIDS or the Spanish flu or cholera outbreak. If you went up above this on the chart and went back to the period when you had the plague, the actual black plague going on, you'd have a, a ball, spiky ball like that, that would stretch from one side of this graphic to the other. Now, this is what I want to be really clear with you about. That coronavirus ball is going to grow as time goes by because this is still in progress. We're still in the middle of it. It's not over with. So it's going to get larger. I also want you to hear very clearly that I am not putting this up as a way of saying you don't need to be concerned about this because that coronavirus actually can kill you. And if you have doubts about that, you can talk to one of our pastors here because we all can tell you of families who have lost someone to this, this coronavirus. It's real. It's very real. And we need to be careful. But what this chart also tells us is it's not the civilization-ending kind of disaster that some people have imagined it to be. And that as we go on and our medical community gets better about treating it and learning how to control it, it's going to become much more controllable and manageable. So there's reason to hope, even while we are at this point still being very cautious and careful, there's reason to hope, and we need to understand that it's not going to be a disaster, apocalyptic kind of civilization-ending kind of event just to set it into kind of perspective. The interesting thing with this is that when it began, there was so much about it we didn't know. We didn't know how it functioned. We didn't know what the symptoms were. Uh, we didn't know how to treat it. Uh, we didn't know how it got spread. And even as we've learned, there's still a lot of those unknowns that are out there as you hear about different kinds of effects it has on different people. And the truth is much of the fear around it is not because of what we know about it, but because of what we don't know about it. It's the unknown that oftentimes is most frightening to us. When we don't know, when we don't know, our imagination begins to fill in all the blanks because that's part of the protective mechanism of the way we operate. If you don't know how dangerous something is, you imagine the worst because that's the way you protect yourself from it. And if it turns out to be easier than that, well, great. But that way you're not caught unawares. But that imagination can also betray us and cause us to overreact or to react when there's really nothing to be afraid of. Adam Hamilton tells a story about uh, getting to know a man in his congregation, and as they talked with each other and became 
more well-known to each other, more acquainted with each other, uh, they realized that they grew up not that far away from each other in Kansas City, but one of them grew up on one side of the avenue that divided the white neighborhoods from the African-American neighborhoods, and the other grew up on the other side. And the interesting thing is both of their parents told them when they were young, don't go past that street or something bad can happen to you. And so they grew up afraid of each other, probably similar to the way some people in Austin have felt uh, thinking about people that live on the other side of I-35 from where they live. They grew up in fear of each other, but what they were afraid of was what they didn't know. And years later when they met each other and they began to talk and visit, they discovered that all along there really had been nothing to be afraid of. That each of them enjoyed each other's company. And that really is the core of so much of, of our fear of each other is uh, unknown, whether it's for racial reasons or whether it's for religious reasons or cultural reasons or language or the way people dress. We're afraid of them not because of what we know about them, but we're afraid because of what we don't know about them. And the only way to address that is to get to know them. That fear of the unknown oftentimes is the greatest fear we carry, and it's also the one that can betray us the most because there are no facts. So we need to, to learn to, to push into that and to examine our assumptions and, and explore those in terms of, of what really is the fact in this situation. And we need to ground all of our examinations uh, in the person of Christ. Uh, in John's gospel, uh, staying in that same gospel, uh, Jesus uh, at uh, the home of Lazarus is speaking to his sister and says, uh, or speaking to a, a person there and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Dallas Willard uh, wrote this comment in Knowing Christ. He said, our field of knowledge is real life under God based on firsthand knowledge of him. Our field of knowledge is real life, understanding what the facts are, what the reality is, but understanding that in light of the presence of God based on our firsthand knowledge of God. Bishop Todd Hunter of the Anglican Church uh, recently put out a little document called Leading in Crisis, and in it he wrote these words. Reading N.T. Wright's God and the Pandemic prompts me to give you his take on reframing the issues of the day. Put Jesus in the center of the picture, and work out from there. We don't start thinking and responding via the frame of anything else. Political parties, political theories, theological action groups, or even extra-biblical theological constructs and schemes, and then try to fit Jesus and the kingdom into those frames. It distorts, pollutes, and marginalizes Jesus every time. Particularly as we move into the fall in this political season, right? Uh, understanding that, that we start with the person of Christ. That's where we begin. And then we work our way out into the world from there. And as we do that, we're reminded that we have the help of the Spirit in that process. Jesus told his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit never speaks in opposition to Christ, never speaks in opposition to God or the Word. But the Holy Spirit guides us into the truth of that in the context in which we find ourselves. So that if we begin with Christ and allow the Spirit to guide us, we can build a framework out that allows us to live, if not completely free of fear, because some things are worthy of fear, but without undue fear and undue anxiety. So just a couple of pieces of kind of summary on this. First off, as we talk about examining our assumption in a lot of the facts, is, is do your homework. Find out what the facts really are, not what someone has told you, but what they really are. Facts are our friends. They help us to understand what really is going on. Don't rely on secondhand information or word of mouth. Um, those of you who've been in academic uh, kind of pursuits know that when you're doing uh, academic work, you know, it's always preferable to have a, a first source, an original source, rather than it is to have a secondary document. And so, you know, don't rely on secondhand information or word of mouth of what you hear from someone or what you see quoted on the internet, but rather use an original authoritative source. Find an original source that has the actual facts so that you know what is actually factually true. And, and use a non-biased source if, if you can find it. If you can find it. Understanding that these days that's more and more difficult to locate because everyone kind of wants to put their spin on things. And, and if you can't find that, use multiple counterbalanced sources. I, I'm always amazed on my news feed on my phone when reports come in and they come from this media outlet and this media outlet that they will sound very different but they're talking about the same event. And so sometimes it's really important for me to read both of those kinds of interpretations and try to figure out, okay, so what really are the facts behind this story? What really is in common between those two sources? And then begin to think about what that means. Uh, it takes some homework. You have to do your homework to understand what the facts are. But then, remember, once you find those facts, we always put Jesus in the center we always put Jesus in the center of our life and our world, and we work out from there. We don't start with political theory or political ideology or whatever. We start with Christ. And especially as we move into the fall, especially as we move into the fall, you're going to hear more and more political ideology, and this group is going to spin it this way, and this group is going to spin it that way, and it's going to be more and more important that we keep ourselves balanced and we look for what the facts really are, and then we remember that as Christians, as followers, we put, Jesus, we put Jesus in the center of the picture and we work out from there. Join me in prayer. Almighty Father, we thank you that you are with us uh, in the middle of this crazy world that we live in. And we confess to you that there is so much going on that strikes fear into our hearts um, unrest in our country, uh, this pandemic that's going on, the, the political uh, drama that is already beginning to occur as we ramp up for the elections and everything that goes with that. And, it, and it's so easy for us to get caught up in the fear and the anxiety and to live from that place. So we ask that you come and you, you pour out your peace upon us. You remind us that we belong to you, that we find our grounding in you. And bring us back to where our lives are centered in you. Remind us to put Jesus at the very center of everything in our lives. 
and then to work out from there so that we might live being appropriately fearful and respectful of the things we need to be, but we might live without undue fear and without anxiety because we know that in the end, in the end, you always have the last word. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.